So if you are in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. If someone's ever told you, well, if you haven't spoken in tongues, you don't have the Holy Spirit. I'm sorry that you were lied to. But if you are in Christ, no longer doubt that the Holy Spirit is in you. Because I be worried about your soul. Why you still be doubting you got a soul? Like you need to see to believe these things. But you believe things that you've never seen. Like feelings and hopes and dreams. The future emotions and gravity. And sadly, everything you're rejecting makes this whole life a tragedy. And I got something to say. I got something to say. I got something to say to the world. And I got place to make. I got steps to take. I got cakes to bake. I got shoes to tie. I got mountains to climb. I got things that I really strive to do just before I die. Huh? So I'ma do all that I'm called to do, I'ma call on you so you could recall it to memory when you remember me speaking about the remedy of the living king, he's the one giving you everything, every good thing that you got, everything that you not, when you think that you hot, he's the one at the top that can make it all stop, he started it all from the very beginning, the very beginning. Welcome to the Milk and Meat Podcast, my name is Andrew Krimkovich, and today I have with me my brother Carlos and my uh, co-host Aldo, and Aldo and me will actually be sharing a mic so we're going to be literally turning it back and forth because we still only have two mics in the studio. So, uh, although, I'm um, going to hand you the mic real quick just so you can kind of introduce yourself briefly as we approach the topic that Carlos will be leading as he also gets to introduce himself. Hey, I'm Aldo. <laughs> no, I'm actually uh, pretty excited. Uh, I think this is the, at least for me or for the first time in the podcast that there's three of us that are going to be having a conversation. And I know for me, it's been a while since I've had a, a podcast conversation with you. Certainly not a while since we've had a conversation, but on the podcast, but I'm, I'm really excited. I think what we're going to get into is, is very important. And, uh, before the podcast, uh, like with, uh, Carlos was saying that we can only speak on, uh, well, not only, but we, we're going to heavily, emphasize a lot of uh uh apostolic assembly teachings uh we're gonna kind of cover those those topics because i mean we grew up in that i mean carlos uh and i have known each other for what like 15 years now we just turned 32 bro we just turned 30 um and uh but yeah we grew up in in the same church together and uh by the grace of god uh we've come to understand more and more what his word is actually teaching and some of the uh, false teachings that we've learned in regards to the Holy Spirit and and uh, what is sin, you know. Uh, so I'm excited. I'm excited to get into it. Yeah. Hey, what's up, man? Uh, what's up, guys? Uh, my name is Carlos. I, I think I've been on this podcast once before, um, and that was it. Um, it was a very interesting conversation that we had. Um, but very glad to be back talking about uh, the evidence of the Holy Spirit or what isn't the evidence of the Holy Spirit. Um, like Aldo has said, we've known each other for uh, quite a few years. Um, actually, it's about 16 years. I was um, 13 when I came to Yuma uh, okay. and I met you um, and we're 30 now. So we're 30. Yeah, that's that's wild, man. Yeah, um, I met Andrew. um I don't remember how old I was, but it was about 2012 when I met you. Um, yeah. That was a interesting time when we would hang out like at two in the morning at Walmart <laughs> um, doing weird things. Um, but it was it was so great. Um, I, I now seeing all that's transpired, 
I understand that it was God and only God that brought us all together. Amen. Um, um, definitely have a lot of things that we have to break down uh, and maybe deconstruct. Um, and a lot of the doctrines that we've been taught growing up, um, growing up, when I say growing up, Aldo and I, um, most of my life, um, I've been in the Apostolic Assembly. Uh, it's an right. organization that is a that is a Jesus only organization, mm-hmm. um, and I, I think maybe we can talk about that in a in a later episode, um, uh, defining what the Jesus only movement is, um, the denying of the triune God, yeah. um, and all that stuff. Because the topic that we have today is, like I said, uh, the evidence of the Holy Spirit, and maybe not, maybe what isn't the evidence of the Holy Spirit is, I guess, more of the turn that I'm going to take into this. And then uh, our, our my brother Andrew is going to speak a little more on the evidence of the Holy Spirit. Um, and that's one of the things that I love about this is that I don't have all the answers and I really do depend on others to help fill in the gaps. Um, I listen to a lot of uh, John MacArthur, R.C. Sproul, Paul Washer, Stephen Lawson, um, really m- men who are so deep in the knowledge of, of, of the Bible, of the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that we can get together as a group to really discuss these topics, to say, hey, what are we struggling with? Well, this is something that I'm struggling with. Cool. Let's dive deep into it. Yeah. Um, as deep as, as, as the Holy Spirit will allow us to dive into. Um, and I guess to start us off is Genesis 1-2. Um, a, a lot of people have said that the Holy Spirit is something that that only came about after the ascension of Jesus into heaven. Um, but it, the Holy Spirit is evident throughout the entire Bible. Um, you have to just look for him. Yeah. Like, uh, that. that's just something that's true. Um, Keyword, him. Him. That's something that's just not not emphasized correctly enough. It's, it's always like a power force that's all on its own. Right. So, keyword, him. Just yeah. want to chime in on that yeah and it, so when i was saying that i really was going to say you just have to look for it and it just my mind just completely turned around it's like no it's him uh, because growing up that's what we were taught the holy spirit is an it it's not a him it's not a person it's it's a force it's a yeah it's um it's like if you're a jedi the force is the holy spirit <laughs> yeah. you know that's that's how i was yeah. really taught growing up that that's the, the holy spirit is power yeah. You know, your authority, that that's what the Holy Spirit is. Yeah, like we have, uh, because we come to Christ, we now have this ability to command, right. to right. declare, to do uh, anything. Right. It's, it's almost exactly like in Star Wars. It's it's the force. Right. That, yeah. Right. And so something we have to make clear is that the Holy Spirit is God. He, he's, he's a person of the triune God um, that, interestingly enough, points points the the uh the glory away from himself and points to Christ but we 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 still praise and glorify him because he is God um but his task as Jesus says he is the spirit of truth he's going to reveal truth to yeah. you and he's not going to speak out of his own will whatever he hears from the father he's going to speak so he's yeah. going to point people to Christ but be, because he is God we we do still glorify him um, Genesis one, two, um, says it literally right, like in the beginning of scripture, um, 
Well, Genesis 1-1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that in itself, right off the top, right, right off the bat, God shows his glory, shows his power, shows he created the heavens and the earth. Um, and that, that, that scripture actually reads, In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Um, and it's very important that we understand that it's Elohim and not just God. Mm. Um, and there's a whole background to that. Again, we're not going to touch on that, but I just wanted to throw that out there. Verse 2 says, The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. So right off the bat, we see that the Spirit of God was moving over yeah. the surface of the water. The Spirit of God was here. So mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit was already here. It yeah. was moving around, right? Um, and I'm going to turn to Acts 2. And the reason I want to turn to Acts 2 is because this is where basically the Apostolic Assembly gets its doctrine of speaking in tongues. Yeah. The evidence of, this, uh, of the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues according to the Apostolic Doctrine. And Acts chapter 2, verse 4, is where we're going to start this off at. Now, Scripture presents uh, the speaking in tongues. Uh, let me read my notes here. So, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share three, three Scriptures, um, and they're all in Acts. Mm -hmm. um, and these are, according to what I've studied and researched, these are the only three uh, occurrences in Scripture where the receiving of the Holy Ghost is is followed by speaking in tongues. Okay. And Acts chapter 2, verse 4 says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit giving as the Spirit was giving them utterance. So at the day of Pentecost, when everybody was praying, the Holy Spirit fell on them they were filled with the holy spirit and they were speaking in tongues mm -hmm. but here's the interesting part of that of that verse it says they were all filled with the holy spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the spirit was giving them utterance so the spirit was giving them utterance as that verse needs to be broken down as everyone speaking in tongues and other tongues as the spirit was giving them utterance so mm -hmm. the spirit was uttering this guy to speak this tongue this guy to speak that tongue this guy to speak another tongue. So we need to understand that the 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 wording here is they were speaking in multiple tongues. Mm -hmm. They were all they were not all speaking some angelic tongue. Right. Because that would be one tongue, right? Whatever whatever language is spoken in heaven, if there is a language spoken in heaven, I don't know how that works. I'm not up there yet. Right. Maybe when we get up there we'll figure it out. But hopefully. Hopefully. Prayerfully, um, by the grace of God, but whatever language is speaking is being spoken up there. It's one language, mm -hmm. right? It, not everyone's not everyone speaking. One guy speaking in Spanish, the other one Jupiterian or something. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But in the day of Pentecost, they were all being given a different language to language. speak because the key word is language. We translate in the English Bible to tongues. Uh, but if we go back to the Greek, because that's what we should always go back for every single translation, New Testament was written in Koine Greek. Mm -hmm. uh, you just look at it. It's literally the word for language or dialect. Right. And that's it. It's either dialectos or a glossa. glossa. 
I think it's glossa. So it's either those two, either actual language or, or a specific dialect. It's mm -hmm. never just uh, some tongue. The word tongue, it's, it's not like like that. Yeah. Like, like a body part. Right. Um, and it's also, I just wanted to reference, it's, uh, it's never called the gift of hearing, the gift of ears. So no one can say that it was all the same um, untranslatable language and everyone just heard them differently. It wasn't the gift of everyone giving given supernatural ears to hear differently. It was literally them all hearing clearly what was supernaturally being bestowed upon the individual speakers. So it was indeed the gift of tongues, individual languages, the gift of languages, or they all spoke in different languages. It's not that every hearer heard in different languages because they were supernaturally endowed. The audience was not the supernatural right. recep recipients. So, Right. So we, we, we have to come to that understanding that these gift of tongues weren't a gift of some holy angelic tongue, some language that's never been heard. They were actual little languages that were spoken on earth that in that moment. Yeah. And we see that evidenced um, later in Acts 2 when the Jews came in like, hey, these guys, these guys are speaking our languages from different regions. How is that so? They've been part of this region. There's no way they knew yeah. our language. So that automatically rebuttals the, the 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 argument that these are angelic languages that are being spoken yeah the the like the gibberish that we're so used to right. you know the the un i could say unintelligible language that that we so often see in uh these uh so-called spirit-led pentecostal apostolic uh services so yeah i i, I totally understand that yeah, and and we in our services we're 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 faced with people who come in and I'm I'm gonna say this, but I don't want to make it seem like I'm mocking them right. in some way. But I hear hermanas and hermanos shout at the top of their tongue the word la la over and over and over again. Yeah, and they and they say, hey, this is. Uh, this is speaking in tongues. Yeah. You know, where, and the, the, the leader, whoever's preaching, whoever's leading at the time where will say they're speaking in tongues. Right. And we've seen that at youth camps. Right. Where we're expecting kids to speak in tongues and we're going to say that, Hey, they received, they just received the Holy spirit. I know because I've done that. Right. I have literally come to young people, put my ear to their mouth to hear them gibber. No, put my ear to their mouth. Yeah, put yeah. my ear to their mouth so I can hear if they're speaking some kind of gibberish yeah. and say... That's God. Yeah, yeah that's, they're crying, they're emotional, yeah. and they're speaking in some mm -hmm. unknown gibberish. Yeah. They, they, they just now receive the Holy Spirit. Yeah. You know, they didn't... It's not... Uh, and it's funny because then... Uh, I know we're not going to dive in too deep to salvation, but then we'll, we'll say they're speaking in tongues, but they're not yet saved because they're not baptized. Right. You know what I mean? It's right. weird. <laughs> right. Which, which, again, because how, how uh, if, if we are deeming baptism as the saving point, then should you not receive the Holy Spirit after baptism? Right. Exactly. You know? It's like they take what happened with Cornelius as like a part one before he was baptized. 
It's like we break salvation down into these multiple parts of things that we need to also uh, assist God in doing. And that's what takes the monergism out of salvation. Monergistic work of God, a single-handed, single-sided work of God is what salvation is. God always says it in the Old Testament, I will, I will, I will. He never says, I will if they. But he does say that if they repent, I will bless. I mean, there is this, this. Um, it's not even a dichotomy. It's it's like a reasonable expectation that if you repent, I will bless you, of course. Not empty, hypocritical, half-hearted, sarcastic repentance. We're talking about God is saying, if you repent, truly, I will bless you. I will forgive you. I will uh, I will change these circumstances. But he's also saying, as far as salvation goes, he's always saying, I will save by my righteous right hand. I will rescue by my spirit, by my power. I will do it. I will change their hearts. I will do this. I will do that. God is always taking a single-handed effort in that, giving himself all the glory. But when we come in and say, he will, after we do this, it's like, that's no, that's that's taking it differently. Because if, if he's saying, I will by faith, I will by my grace and by your faith, I will save you. And we say, well, yes, but I also have to do these three or four rituals. It's like, no, 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 we, we can't add anything to salvation. So that's, that's why when Cornelius received the Holy Spirit after hearing and believing, Peter was like, but who's going to keep water from them? I mean, they received the same thing we did. Mm-hmm. He wasn't saying, let's, let's save them real quick. He's saying, let's, Let's follow through. These are obediences to the commands. Get baptized. It's right. the immediate obedience that we should do. It's the easiest of things, other than verbally confessing. Go get water and get dunked in it by a faithful believer right. because you're professing Christ in front of a group of witnesses. I mean, that's the easiest thing to do. Right. Which brings me to my next verse, which deals with uh, with Cornelius mm-hmm. in Acts 10, verse 44, which reads, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message, all the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. Can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay on for a few days. So it is understood that Cornelius, and, and the reason behind it is because Peter was skeptical about Gentiles being saved. Um, before that, he had the vision to eat unclean food, yeah. and God said, don't call unclean what I've cleansed. Um, so he was going to tell them, or he was lead him, leading him up to the to that passage uh, of, of Cornelius. Um, but the the interesting thing here is that Cornelius received the Holy Spirit. He and, and his household received the Holy Spirit. They're speaking in tongues, and Peter says they received the Holy Spirit just as we did, just yeah. as they did on the day of, of Pentecost. They spoke in other languages. Yeah. Otherwise, Peter would have said they received the Holy Spirit, and that's it because they would have been speaking some gibberish or some angelic language as it is believed in the apostolic assembly, that it is basically the language of God is what they're speaking. Um, Even though it can't be understood, Mm -hmm. there's no interpreter there to interpret it. Um, And somebody has had pointed out to me once, well, it's not that you're speaking to God, God is speaking to you. When you're speaking in tongues, 
God is speaking to you. Yeah. That's something that somebody in the assembly told me. And I was no, like, and I, I've heard that as well. I've, I've heard the, the same thing. Like when you're in your prayer and you're speaking in tongues that, that God is speaking to you too, you know, uh, that's something I, I don't understand. I've, I've heard, um, this is God speaking through you. What you don't know to speak. This is this is when people misinterpret that verse, saying when we don't know what to pray, the Spirit intercedes for us uh, with unutterable groans, which means you can't literally utter them. Right. Groanings with desires. Groanings always means desires or or, or, or grief over something that hasn't yet come. So when we say, some people have said like this is this is the Holy Spirit speaking through you. It's like well, there's. There's me out of the picture in that. Right. I'm not even involved. I'm just a witness to something that I can't even do anything about or understand. So I mean, that just I've heard that too. Right. Which which is which is to me it's something that I I honestly I can't grasp. I don't understand how you speaking in some gibberish is God speaking yeah. to you because I I don't know. I just don't understand yeah. it. And and we don't understand the right. gibberish cuz I mean, we've all here practiced that form of language. Right. And uh, honestly, we don't know what we were saying. Yeah. And, you know, the Bible says if, if somebody is going to speak in tongues, let there be an interpreter, you know, to edify those around us, you know, to edify everybody. Right. And it's like, where's the edification in that? Mm-hmm. You know, if you're, if you're going to be saying gibberish and you think you're connected to God uh, through this uh whatever it is that's happening with your tongue uh where's the growth if you don't even understand what you are saying where's where's the growth where's the instruction where's the correction in that i think it's always like i'm expecting that because i've experienced that later on i will succeed more in my prayers i'll succeed more in my fasting i'll succeed more in my spiritual strength and my my spiritual morality i'll be able to behave better or do better it's like this like man i've had this encounter prayer was really deep the altar was really awesome today i know that god's going to do something great now so it's like we're putting our trust instead of who christ is and what has been promised concerning him in the word of god we're trusting in what we've experienced and we're putting all of our weight on that which i think is idolatry yeah i i can definitely see that and uh and and again it's like nothing that like god does is going to be unfruitful so why would this form of speaking in tongues be unfruitful? Uh, I know a lot of it comes back to like, well, it feels good. I was talking to, well, I've talked to many, you know, about this subject. And they're like, yeah, well, you know, you speaking in tongues, you're connected with God. With God. You feel good. It feels good. It, it it always comes back to at the end of the service, I just, I feel good. I feel relieved. I, it's like, yeah, you can really fool yourself into feeling good you know it's uh and i'm not gonna say you know following christ is void of feelings absolutely not you know there there is emotion there is a a feeling it's certainly a a pull you know a tug at your heartstrings but it is not led by your feelings you know what i mean it's led by the spirit we we understand that there's there is for sure emotion when you follow christ of course if you don't if you don't have emotion, then you don't love Christ, you know, yeah. because love is an emotion. So you have to follow Christ with your emotion, with everything that you are. You know, love the Lord your God with all your mind, soul, heart, spirit, strength, all of that good stuff. Because Amen. it literally, it, it, it's not saying that just with these, it's with everything. 
In other words, it's telling you, you have to love the Lord your God with everything that you are, yeah. everything that you have. Um, and we see that in that seven-mile trip that Jesus took with uh, the disciples where he didn't reveal who he was to them. This mm-hmm. was after his crucifixion. But once they realized who he was, he disappeared, which is kind of <laughs> it's kind of like... It's kind of messed up, you know. <laughs> they realize it. <laughs> I'm gone later, dudes. <laughs> like, but they were like, "Were were we not in our heart? Like, didn't did we not feel something in our heart? Yeah, uh, yeah. That was their emotion. They were like, "This guy make is making us feel stuff." Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Following Christ is going to be an emotional journey for of sure. Um, but we're not being led by those emotions. Exactly. Remember, the heart is deceitful above all things, right? Yeah. So. Uh, what we have to follow Christ with is with scripture. And mm-hmm. that's how we understand we have to mirror ourselves according to scripture. We have to, uh, um, what's that? Search ourselves mm-hmm. according to scripture. Um, not, not search, examine ourselves according to scripture. Okay. Are we living our life according to scripture? Mm-hmm. Are we living and serving Christ, following God according to what script, how scripture is telling us to, mm-hmm. this is how we're going to understand salvation. Um, if you can't examine yourself according to scripture, and if scripture is telling you to do something that you're not doing and you don't want to do it, then you might want to question where you're at with yeah. Christ. Um, and, and I would just add, you know, like as emotional creatures as we are, you know, when we uh, read scripture, we have to, be able to question our own emotions. You know what I mean? So if, if if scripture is telling us to do something that we're not, and then all of a sudden we we feel there's, there is an emotion there and it's either going to lead us to submit and be like, you know what? I forgive me, Lord. You know, we repent and we follow through or our emotion will take us the other direction. And we'll, it's, it's either going to convict us or we're going to hate it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jeremiah 17 says that the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? I mean, what's in our heart is there since birth. We are that way. Uh, We are commanded not to take all of our cues and to base our morality or our moral compass entirely on what our heart feels because we are naturally sin-following, sin-led, sin-filled, sin-imbued creatures. Um, that's why the law has to come in and actually correct us because from birth we are wicked, just like David said. You know, in in sin my mother conceived me. Not that his mother performed a, an adulterous act, but that in the midst of a sinful condition his mother conceived him. He 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 came. Uh, what is it? David said, "I came out of." Is it David or Isaiah? I come. I came out of the womb lying, like already a liar already and someone that's against God in my natural stance. Uh, I met someone earlier today. I had a chance to talk to him and I asked him, where is he at with, with Christ? And he said, you know, I, I love, I love Jesus. I just, I just, I, I hate church or something along those lines. He says, I, I do not trust any churches. And I kind of went through it a little bit with him and I was explaining to him why it's important to be a congregating Christian because it is an obedience to God's command. It is an edification for your own self. It is a, a, a time to hear the word of God being preached and taught authoritatively and clearly, hopefully expositionally. And he said, well, I, I can't, I, I'll, I'll never go back to church. I haven't gone back to church since I talked to a pastor a while ago. And he says that homosexuality is sin. And he said, if I, if I still practice homosexuality, I, I, I won't 
be in heaven. I, I, I'll, I'll still go to hell. So he said, since then, I don't go to church anymore. But I, you know, I, I love God. I just, I feel good. I, I pray to him all the time. And because I was breaking down, like, who's the God that you believe in? The God of the Bible or the, the God, the, the Father who sent the Lord Jesus Christ? And he went into this thing saying, well, I don't believe that the Father sent Jesus. I believe he became Jesus. And I kind of explained what what uh, the triune God really is all about, what the explanation of Scripture is, and how um, how God actually has this ongoing, simultaneous interrelationship within himself, within his divinity, within his Godhead, uh, that is Father, Son, Spirit communing all at once. And he he went down to the point saying that his homosexuality is what keeps him from going to churches. And I explained to him that even though he feels a certain way, even from the youngest of ages, he feels a certain way, he feels very strongly inclined towards something, it doesn't mean that it is right. And if the Bible calls something sin, it isn't because it's convenient or easy. It's because it is sin against God's created order. And I explained to him that as much as his homosexuality is sin, is as much as my lustful heterosexual stares or glances at anyone is sin. It is always an, a misappropriation of the things that I've been given by God. I've been given eyes, I've given, been given a mind and a heart. And if I use them in crooked ways, even if I desire to do so, and if I lust after someone, or if I covet something, I am wrong. It is not wrong to buy things in a store, but if I'm walking around loving everything and just having this envy for all the things I see on the shelves, I am practicing a covetous, envious heart. I might even hate the person that has something I don't. So I explained that your heart might be leading you towards homosexuality, but but that doesn't mean it's right. The Bible says it is wrong, and for that, you need to repent. And I said, if you're not willing to repent of that, and you're willing to hold on to that darling sin, then you might run towards hell with that, because I'm not sure if you're a Christian, because you're not willing to repent of what God says in his word is sin. And I said, consider this carefully, and we had a chance to kind of part ways on a, on a, on a good note but he said you know i'll really i'll really think about that i'm like please do because it's not the pastor's words it's it's the word of god and it's not what makes you feel good it's repentance is going to be one of the most hurtful painful heartbreaking things you'll ever do because you're breaking ties with something that you've been married to in your heart and life you're separating you're dying to this world you're dying to yourself and you're 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 putting your sins at the foot of the cross saying take it jesus i know it's wrong your death is what it cost Forgive me, clean me, take me away from that. So, so that's just, I see how a heart can lead someone into deceptive theology as well. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, it's interesting. A few years ago, I had uh, the opportunity to speak with two young ladies who, uh, separately, they weren't together. Um, this was actually through social media. Some Christian page had on Instagram had posted uh, something about homosexuality and, um, I, I commented on their actually it wasn't a Christian page. It was a secular page and they commented something about homosexuality and I put my two cents in there biblically. And of course I had a lot of replies, um, you know, bashing the Bible and, and stuff like that. Um, and I did, I did my best to reply to, to most of them, but mm-hmm. a, a few about, I think three girls actually replied to me and it was interesting that they were all girls. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but one of them just uh, would ask me questions about the Bible and she just kept refusing it. And I said, well, th- this is, you know, biblically, this is what it is. And she said, no, the Bible's wrong. I'm like, cool. She just didn't accept it. The other two girls actually 
was very interesting the conversation that we were having because they were having real honest and raw questions mm-hmm. about it. They 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 loved or they wanted to love a god um and wanted to understand why god would um allow them to be this way and then yeah. hate them. So we went through it biblically and one of them was like, well, why is, why is being gay a sin? Mm-hmm. And I gave them the answer that it, it sin, you have to look at it as sin in general. God hates sin in general. And this was years ago. This was before uh, me and the, the uh, being reformed and, and all this stuff. Yeah. Um, it, sin in general, God hates. I told them, I told her, I told both of them. Um, it's not, he's not just pointing fingers at you because you're gay. He he is pointing fingers at everybody. Yeah. Sin is sin in the eyes of God and he detests it. The reason why homosexuality is a sin is because it goes against his natural order. The mm-hmm. Bible says it that even nature tells us. Even yeah. nature animals the only way they're going to conceive is male and female. Same as us, the only way we're going well, to Well, there conceive. are those very 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 few that are like asexual and they just kind of like amoebas. Themselves. They just make new them new cells. Right. And uh, there's another fish or something that doesn't need another partner. I think it's horsefish. What is it? No, what's the that, ho- the horse that? the horsefish the female the gets pregnant. Horsefish sounds weird. It's a it. horse seahorse uh, seahorse <laughs> horsefish. Fish. I was like, why does that sound so weird? <laughs> the the seahorse the the female I don't I don't know it's weird because the female gets pregnant but the the male, male carries it. it. Yeah, it's very very yeah. weird. It's very weird. But yeah, so it's like we really can't take major life trajectories off of marginal right. sum things i mean some right. people say like hey there's monkeys that uh like practice homosexuality i'm like M- monkeys the, the also world throw is, their poop at yeah i mean other. there's a lot that <laughs> it's like look there's a lot of things you'll see but that doesn't mean they are going in the right direction right like we we can't say like oh look all animals prove to us like no we just know that reproduction yeah for all mankind only occurs with male and female. it doesn't occur outside right. one egg one sperm like it's right. it's just the egg and the seed Right. There's no way to go around that. Uh, if other animals are, it's like, well, seahorses are made as they are. Right. Seahorse. Seafish? What, what did I say? Horsefish. Wrong? Horsefish. <laughs> so, yeah, go on. So, so I, I started explaining to her the natural order, and I said, you and your female partner, mm-hmm. you cannot conceive. Yeah. You can have children if you adopt or the surrogate or some kind of way, but naturally... You need a male and a female to conceive a baby. And that is why it's a sin and an abomination because you're doing away with the natural order and you're doing what you want instead. So she started asking me, so me being gay or lesbian, am I doomed forever? I said, no, Mm -hmm. because the sin is not in your desire. It's in your giving into it because I, um, I struggle with with lust mm-hmm. as as a man. I struggle with lust. So my my desire I, I have to flee from that desire. When it comes to me, I literally have to be like Joseph with Potiphar's wife and run as fast. I don't care if, yeah. if she rips my clothes off. I am running. Yeah. He didn't care. He ran from sin and temptation. Mm-hmm. And that's how we have to be with sin and temptation. 
my temptation is there, but I have to run the other way. So it, it's it's not that your thought is there. It's the acting and giving into it. Mm-hmm. Like there are people who I've known who have come to Christ as um, I'm what, what's the slogan? I'm gay. I'm here and we're here to stay or something like that. Mm-hmm. Something like that. This guy used to march in gay parades like this guy was all out. Right. He came to saving faith in Christ. Um, he's actually uh, somebody I follow on 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 Facebook, um, and and I've had a back and forth with him once in a while. Um, but he said my desires changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've known other gay people who who they follow Christ, they love Christ, came to saving faith, but they still struggle with it. Mm-hmm. But they say that's not who I am. I I run away from it. I look away. I I read my Bible. I pray. Whatever. They may never get married right. to a woman. They may never, you know, it's not that we're going to make you straight. Yeah. It's that it's, it's, it's what's, it's, it's your, again, your saving faith. Mm-hmm. That's what we're coming to. Yeah. Um, it just goes to show, you know, how, how broken and sinful we are as, as people, you know, and then just our emotions really do mislead us, you know, yeah. and, and I think one of the biggest things is being able to come to that conclusion that our own hearts deceive us. You know, whatever we think is good for us, because we'd like to think we're very sensible people. You know, right. we, we'd like to think that that we know what's good for us, but we have to come to the conclusion that we could be wrong about well, it's that. Like a, it's like yeah. a show that I was watching with my wife mm-hmm. uh, yesterday. The guy had cheated on his girlfriend, and then he proposed, and she said yes. <laughs> so, because yeah. they were in love. <laughs> so. It's like that's the expectation for the marital relationship. Yeah. That's pretty messed up. Uh, it's human beings are naturally going by their hearts in opposition to the God-given conscience that they have, either to sear it, to hinder it, to suppress it, or to reject it. This is why little children lie while their hands are still sweaty from the lie they're telling. Mm -hmm. They intentionally go against what God has given them to know better. So we know that we want by our hearts and emotions and desires to go against what we have in our minds. It's like God has given us this you got no excuse perspective. And we can suppress it. We can damage it. You know, PTSD can ruin someone. Uh, drugs can ruin someone Uh, mental handicaps can ruin someone they can be born with those but predominantly mankind knows what is right and wrong in some of those most major aspects as far as killing hurting harming lying and yet we go against it because we want to choose what we want to choose and it's always self-gratifying and it's always self-praising so we live in our lives against the glorious truth of god that he is truth, he is right, he's the creator, he's the ultimate. And we live in opposition to that until something breaks us, hurts us, or terrifies us. Yeah, and and again, you know, it. the Bible is very clear on sin. And the Bible is very, uh, I mean, that's where we get our instruction for how to live as Christians, you know. And then just going back to the whole Holy Spirit thing, it's like, if we're so tied to this emotion that we experience in, in the altar, yet the Bible is laying it out, you know, uh, if, if you read it and, and really try to understand what is this speaking in tongues, it, it's very clear that it mm-hmm. is not what we're used to. Right. So one's gonna like for me, I'm, I'm speaking from in my experience, I had to come to that conclusion that it, it really is me experiencing this, this really good feeling, you know what I mean? And I, and I have to uh, understand that 
I was misleading myself because if I were to hold on to that, then I'm refuting scripture, you know, and as a Christian to refute scripture that, that deeply that then you would question your own salvation. Then you would question, am I really a Christian? You know, because again, it's laid out in scripture. So right. be careful with, with your emotions because they and really a lot of are people, deceiving. A lot of people take that whole speaking in tongues thing as God's uh, forgiveness over some kind of sin that they may have committed. Yeah. Uh, because they, absolutely. sometimes people say, like I've heard people say, well, how long has it been since you've spoken in tongues? Oh maybe, yeah. Maybe, you know, you're feeling this way because you haven't spoken in tongues yeah. in a while. Yeah. Um, and you're wrong for, and you're for wrong. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or you made, you committed a sin, you gave into lust or mm-hmm. you gave into getting drunk or Ex- whatever, whatever, yeah. whatever you gave into. And now you need forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And like I was saying earlier, there's been times where I've, I've sinned and I needed to wait until Sunday and that, and that altar call mm-hmm. or the next prayer meeting and that mm-hmm. altar call or Thursday and that altar call so that I can feel forgiven, mm-hmm. you know, instead of realizing that God's grace is immediate yeah, and we're forgiven. Our, our conviction may linger and our shame mm-hmm. may linger, but God's forgiveness is yeah. immediate and his grace is, yeah, that's, will over, will flood us. Yeah. And we should, you know, ask for that godly remorse, yeah. you know, it, it says so in, Ephesians, Corinth, it, it says so in the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> there's a there's a godly remorse that definitely... It's that's, what Paul that's, was saying. Although you did not have the spiritual <laughs> gift of quoting scripture. No. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't I either. Gotta, I got to write things down. Yeah. But it's it's Paul who, who says, you know, I regret that I, I spoke to you so harshly at first because it caused you sorrow. Uh-huh. But then he says, but then I don't didn't regret it anymore because that sorrow was good. Because it was mm-hmm. a holy sorrow, yeah, and that's something that's good for a Christian to have. If Absolutely. you do, if if you sin, and it doesn't phase you, mm-hmm. then you you might want to question your salvation, yeah, and your faith in Christ. Absolutely, for sure. <laughs> yeah, it was Corinthians. It was Corinthians. <laughs> it was Corinthians. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, remember, First Corinthians is that full on letter of rebuke. Yeah. All rebuke. Second one is the one where he says, you know, bring that horrible sexual deviant. <laughs> back in he's repented so he doesn't go with too much sorrow i'm sorry that i said it so yeah. severely so remember first corinthians is the one with full rebuke except for the first six or seven verses which is like i praise you for remembering me and continuing in the faith now here's all the things you're doing wrong yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly so um reeling reeling it back to what we were originally talking to did we even talk about the evidence of the spirit yet? Where we we touched on two verses that deal with speaking in tongues. Okay, because I'm like we're 43 minutes in. <laughs> I don't know if we even got to, but go on. You should definitely go through what you were going to go through. So Acts Acts 19 <laughs> verse 6. This is the the third and I believe final, um, unless if I've, I've done uh, wrong research, um, which I do sometimes, and I need to be corrected. Um, mm-hmm. Acts 19. Uh, six. Um, well, I'm going to read from verse one. It says, "It happened that while Apollos, 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 Apollo. I like that Apollo. one. Apollos. <laughs> it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus, 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 mm-hmm. um, and found some disciples. And found some disciples. Acts nineteen. Um, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, no, we, 
we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him. That is in Jesus. So just real quick, he told them to bat, to be baptized into repentance. And then John made it clear, believe in him. Mm-hmm. So they were being baptized because they were repenting as their ceremonial yeah. baptism that they yeah. were doing. It was all in, it also says in, in uh, the gospels, uh, they were uh, baptizing in anticipation right. for him. Yeah. So then verse five goes on to read, when they heard, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. There were in all, there were in all about 12 men. So the Holy Spirit came on them. They were speaking in tongues, but the scripture makes it clear and prophesying. They were preaching mm-hmm. in these different languages. They weren't speaking some mystery. They weren't speaking something that people didn't understand. They were clearly preaching the gospel mm-hmm. in these different languages that the Holy Spirit was giving them. Yeah. So that that these verses do give us evidence or do maybe yeah, I guess gives us evidence that in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit following people. They were being given different languages to speak, but it, it was for a reason. They were all known languages, and they were all preaching the gospel yeah. in those languages. And then that's it. Well, that's why it always says uh, it always says speaking in tongues or languages, speaking in languages, and either prophesying or praising and glorifying God. Like right. it, it always adds that. So that's the aspect of it. Not the aspect of this person's just doing things. It's that they're actually coherently praising God in this way that God has enabled them to do it. And it's always done by the hands of an apostle, and it's always annotated in the book of Acts in a new location or a new area that has not yet come with the gospel. Right. Uh, or, or a group of people that came from a place into an area, and they need to be confirmed in this new covenant. What also I think is important for us to consider about that specific section that you mentioned is we need to understand what baptism is as well. Jesus didn't get baptized because he needed any sins forgiven. He didn't get baptized because that's just the thing to do. Jesus literally did not take the role of teacher and master and rabbi until he was baptized by John. Because John, uh, in in, in Jewish, uh, the Jewish practices, a rabbi makes a rabbi. That's why rabbis would always have their followers following them, and then they would appoint them as rabbi, and then they'd be able to have their own followers. You cannot just... I'm a rabbi and start walking around with followers. You must be endowed by a rabbi. John was known as a teacher and a prophet from God. He was known by all of Jerusalem. He was known as that guy. He's the prophet. So when he baptized Jesus, Jesus now is able to baptize others or to bring others under his tutelage. So Jesus said, this is for righteousness. So all righteousness could be fulfilled. Jesus was not breaking the Jewish traditions. He was following in those steps in that water baptism. So he was not saying this is a future baptism that everyone's going to need to do. He was saying, I am following that. um, I'm submitting to John, my cousin, based like my six month older than me cousin, 
basically as a general practice of this is how I will now be able to say I am a legal valid teacher in Israel because I have been appointed by another teacher. So when they said, who are you baptized into? They said, into John. John's our master. We, we follow John's teaching. Mm-hmm. And that's why they were saying, well, John was really pointing towards the true teacher. You have to be submitted to the true teacher, just like people get baptized in different countries in those times under a king. When they come into a new nation, they get baptized and they're saying, like, I'm going to obey you. Just like here in America, you come in and you take the test like you can be a citizen. You're abiding. You're honoring the Constitution. Same thing with water baptism. In many of those practices, it was a submission or surrender to the king who's being pointed to. So this is what it is. So just want to say that. Yeah, which which is interesting. Uh, my former pastor had asked me uh, when we were having conversations about this, he had asked me, so then why did Jesus get baptized? Mm-hmm. And I pointed to that. And then I said, well, why don't we stop speculating and ask Jesus? Mm-hmm. And because he, he tells us. he John was like, I'm not worthy. I need to be baptized by you. And then Jesus kind of leaned into him and said, we're, we're going to allow it this time. It's necessary for all righteousness. Mm-hmm. And because Jesus was here to live that perfect life. If he didn't, if he, if he didn't follow a single command from God, mm-hmm. there would be no salvation. Yeah. His, his life is our life. His yeah. death was, is our death. Yeah. His resurrection is that validation that God was satisfied by by his by his by his sacrifice, uh, so if God sent John and commanded him to baptize, then Jesus was going to submit to that yeah. baptism because he followed everyone of God's law. Um, so going going back, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to Acts chapter two for a little bit, um, chapter two verse forty one. So this is talking about um, the those that that asked Peter, what shall we do? You know the Peter preached the gospel to them. They were saying, hey, these guys are drunk. What? A, how, how is it possible that they know our languages? Yeah. And then Peter preached the gospel to them. It pierced them in their heart. So yeah. they believed. Mm-hmm. As he was saying this, he was like, this Christ who you crucified with your sins, mm-hmm. it pierced them to their heart. They believed. And, so the, and then they said, you know, what should we do? And, and, and then we get that famous Acts 2.38. Yeah. which is the the whole base of the apostolic assembly um, is, you know, Peter said, repent, be baptized every one of you for the forgiveness of your sins and you will uh, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So, so we're, we're actually, we're going to read from verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. So they were pierced to the heart by the message of the gospel and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Uh, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then... Those who had received his word were baptized that day, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So they were baptized, they received the Holy Spirit. 
no speaking in tongues. What did they do? Mm. They submitted themselves to the teaching yeah. of the apostles and fellowship. That's what they did. So from here on out, we understand that they were that they were examining and searching the scriptures. But there was no speaking in tongues. Yeah. We're going to turn to Acts 8. One note while you guys are looking for Acts 8. First off, I noticed that you guys literally have the exact same Bible because you guys turned the page at the same time when you were reading through those <laughs> verses. So I was like, whoa, whoa, there, is their Bible both set up the same way? And I realized it actually is the <laughs> same the MacArthur same. Study Bible. Yeah. So that was interesting. Um, a lot of people use Acts 2.38 as the order, ordo salutis, the order of salvation, the actual specific point-by-point point order of salvation that has to be rejected biblically because uh, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll be given the gift of the Holy Spirit um, could not continue to be held as a valid order of salvation that is always solid and in written in stone because Cornelius heard and believed and received the Spirit and then was baptized. So the entire order was flipped on its head with Cornelius. And so we need to at least view this and say Acts 2.38 is not an order of salvation. It is commands pertaining to what salvation is requiring as a, as a response so that somebody could be deemed you are faithful, you are repentant, you are obedient, you are doing these things that you should if you truly believe. So I just wanted to point out that Acts 2.38 is not the order of salvation because then Cornelius' entire situation diminishes it. So we're going to... Uh, so Acts 8, 4 and on. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds, with one accord, were giving, were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. Now there was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone someone great. And they all from the smallest to greatest were giving attention to him, saying, This man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip and as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not fallen, for he had not fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the spirit was bestowed through the lane of through the lane on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to them, May your silver may your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore repent of the wickedness of yours and pray that the Lord pray the Lord that if possible the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. 
For I see for I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. But Simon answered and, and said, Pray to the Lord for me yourselves, so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. So they were praying and the Holy Spirit was falling, but again, we don't we don't have any evidence of what that may have looked like for them. Mm-hmm. Um and then in the next literally a, a few verses later when we read about the the Ethiopian the eunuch yeah he Philip goes down and prays and preaches to him he is led by the spirit he goes and preaches to him he's baptized mm-hmm. and then the spirit just kind of takes him away yeah and there is no speaking in tongues there is nothing mm-hmm. nor re- does it imply it either nor does it imply it that's exactly right it it all it says is in verse 39 of that same of that same chapter when they came up out of the water the spirit of the lord snatched philip away and the eunuch no longer saw him but went on his way rejoicing so he was baptized he understood the scripture philip said hey do you understand what you're reading he said how how am i going to understand if if no one explains it yeah so philip gets on the chariot um and starts explaining it to him he believes and he says hey there's some water there let me proclaim Christ as my Lord. Mm-hmm. Who, like, what, what? And then he said, all right, <laughs> let's do it. Yeah. So he gets baptized and then the spirit snatches Philip away and takes him somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And then the unit goes on his merry way. Mm-hmm. A believer in Christ and I don't know what else he's, he does with his life. Yeah. Well, well, whatever he did with his life, it was effective because Ethiopia has some of the oldest traditional uh, Orthodox Christianity yeah. in in the world so so he started something he, he started something yeah and I, I was i was about to say that exact same thing yeah that's that's definitely the first account we could see that affected ethiopia even mm-hmm. to this day yeah and that's interesting I, I didn't even know that yeah i don't know that i'm gonna i'm gonna look into it um where am i at 1631 mm-hmm. act 1631 no notice that we're we're in acts yeah like and and we're in Acts because this is literally how the assembly is Acts. We're we're in Acts. Yeah. We're we're the one one camp, one youth camp that I was at said um the theme was Acts twenty nine. Oh, I we are remember the next, that. We are the next chapter of Acts. I remember that. And and yeah. don't get me wrong, at the time I was like, Yeah, Holy Ghost fire. Yeah. Until I realized what fire yeah. means in the Bible. You yeah. know, he's gonna baptize you with with the Holy Spirit and fire yeah and then later on in literally like the next verse or two he explains what that fire is it's a furnace you're you know if you're dying your sins you're gonna be burned yeah it's not something you want so yeah. if, if you're listening to this stop praying for fire stop man. singing about fire stop singing about fire fuego, 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 fuego. <laughs> we all know that song most of us most of us um so 16 verse 31 the jailers converted um Let's go to 29, verse 29. And he called for lights and rushed in. So this is where Paul and Silas is in prison. They're praying and they're praising and the doors open up. And the jailer is like, oh my God, I'm going to die. Like, it's better for me to kill myself right now. Because it, it, if if they found out that prisoners left, they mm-hmm. wouldn't have just killed the jailer. They, they would have killed his entire family. Yeah. So it was better for him to literally kill himself to save his family. I'm so glad it's different now. <laughs> yeah. Especially for you. Yeah. Imagine. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 
my my poor dogs. <laughs> I'll save your dogs. So so Paul and Silas cries out. He's like, "Hey, do not harm yourself, for we are here. We're all here. Every prisoner is here. We're all still here. Mm-hmm. Don't harm yourself." And he called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, "Sirs." What must I do to be saved? The famous question, what must I do to be saved? Yeah. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. He doesn't say believe in the Lord Jesus, be baptized in the name of Jesus. He doesn't say, he doesn't say, go do this, go do that. Believe. Yeah. That's, that's the only thing that he's told them to do. Yeah. That they have told them to do. He said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized, he and his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, believing in God with his whole household. Yeah. Now, they were baptized. They followed that command. Great. He said, believe they were saved. Mm-hmm. No account of them speaking in tongues. Exactly. No evidence of them speaking in tongues. No command of mm-hmm. them speaking in tongues. And that's the thing that we have to really realize. We are never commanded to speak in tongues. Yeah. Ever. Jesus didn't command it. The apostles didn't command it. Mm-hmm. It was some supernatural thing that occurred for a reason yeah. in that time. Can it occur now? Sure. If you go to a country as a missionary, maybe, where you don't know that that dialect, yeah, the Holy Spirit may work in you. And enable it, yeah. But there's a story, and I I can't remember who it was, um, where uh, it was a a leader of a church. They said, we're going to go to a different country and preach them. Not a single one of them knew that language. Mm -hmm. They went, and it just failed miserably. Mm-hmm. There, there was a lot of um, missionaries in the time of uh, Parham that were trying to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, when they started in 1904 or 1906, the uh, Pentecostal movement in America, along with other cults that began in 1900s, um, it it was an attempt to go and just speak a language, and it was a it was a miserable failure. Nobody was preparing, nobody was studying, nobody was trying to get even the cultural. Uh, insights to those locations and they were just going and nothing was happening. They were not speaking the language. They were just wasting their own time. Um, so, yeah. Go ahead, Aldo. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, uh, I was just going to uh, uh, re-enforce uh, the, the whole believe aspect of it uh, because that you see that throughout the New Testament. You know, believe and be saved. You know, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, it it solidifies your faith, your belief in Christ. And and you might have doubts at some point, but the Holy Spirit is ultimately, it, it's, it, it brings you right back to, no, God is real. I am saved by the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, it, it's like you, you can't refute it once the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And it is not... Uh, as you say, uh, the the speaking in tongues, and, and certainly it is never commanded to to speak in tongues, and that's what happens. It's like we, 
uh, we go out and we we seek that 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 miracle that that oh i got to speak in tongues and at some point it just turned into what it is today that you have to speak in tongues or you're not saved it, people don't understand that saving faith brings an immediate regeneration of the person absolutely you you are literally made in you creation mm-hmm. you are a literal new creature at that the, moment at yeah. that moment mm-hmm. you, you might still struggle with your past with some things letting go there are things that people have testified that i was a faithful liar mm-hmm. every word that came out of my mouth was a lie and since i believed i've not told a lie and if i have it's been such a great sorrow that i have to immediately uh, uh, clear it up and ask for forgiveness. Mm-hmm. There are people who still struggle with some sin, mm-hmm. but my grace is sufficient. You know that because your your uh, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. That's what God told Paul. Mm-hmm. So Romans eight nine says, however, you are not in the flesh. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ. He does not belong to him. So I want to get a little more into, because I know we're, we've are we been here pretty extensively now. Um, we I want, might have to do a part two. We might have to part, do a part, or just cut this one in two parts. <laughs> <laughs> but every Christian has the Holy Spirit. That's one thing that needs to be clarified. Mm-hmm. Every Christian, every believing Christian, because there are people who say call themselves Christian and they're not Christian. Of course. They're not saved. They're not... They might think they're saved, but they're not saved. They might know they're not saved, but they act like they are. But what we have to understand, every person who has come to the belief of Christ has the Holy Spirit. And Romans 8, 9 says, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though though the body is dead because of sin yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness but if the spirit of him who raised jesus from the dead dwells in you he who raised christ jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you so if you are in christ you have the holy spirit Mm -hmm. if someone's ever told you well if you haven't spoken in tongues you don't have the holy spirit i'm sorry that you were lied to but if you are in christ no longer doubt that the Holy Spirit is in you. Yeah. Go ahead. The evidence is not the speaking in tongues. Just want to reinforce that. As far as First John, which I think is the best self-evaluation tool that we have, uh, other than studying thoroughly through Romans, because Romans is every aspect pertaining to surrounding and describing all things of salvation. Um, but First John chapter 3, for example says uh, in verse 6, no one who abides in him, capital H, him, sins, meaning continually, unrepentantly, happily, joyously, pre-planned, like intentionally, without conviction. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. This is where people get the whole, I'm perfect and sinless now that I'm a Christian mentality. They falsely view this because the word sins here in Greek, it means the continuous, the ongoing uh, version of that word. Um, 
Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he, Christ, uh, is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Verse 9, no one who is born of God practices sin, meaning continually, because his seed abides in him meaning Christ's, God's seed, Christ's seed abides in that believer. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. The evidences of, oh, the evidences of salvation are the intentional, hardy obediences to God and his word, to, to follow after Christ, to be that person that is walking diligently after Christ, uh, literally holding to the scriptures as his rule of life and faith, and going forward, a confessing Christian, a practicing, obedient Christian, a consistent Christian, even though there might be inconsistencies because we are sinners and we get complacent and we get lazy and we get caught up in stupid stuff and then we're brought back to a repentance. So there's always going to be these ups and downs in the Christian life, but a Christian does not play around when he looks like a Christian and love his sin and never excuse it or only confess it when someone else is watching, like that worldly sorrow. I got caught. Man, I feel bad for getting caught. No, Christians feel bad for doing the deed, not for getting caught for it or the consequences only. They get bad. They feel bad because they realize and they know in their heart, against you only have I sinned. This is David's confession. It's the confession of every true Christian. They have sinned against the living God in their private and in their thought life sins, as well as their physical and acted out sinful behaviors. So the evidence of, of the Holy Spirit are less, less about what is showy necessarily, like people are looking for the spectacular gifts or for that. It's like, well, there's fakers that can do that too. There's false prophets, false preachers, false teachers. They're going to have false signs and wonders. The, the Antichrist is going to come with false, lying, deceiving signs and wonders. But true Christians are those that are consistently and obediently submitting to Christ and walking according to his word and will. Yeah. First um, Corinthians 12, chapter 12, verse 7. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So everyone has been given the manifestation of the Spirit. Everyone who has come to saving faith has the Holy Spirit. Now, how the Spirit will work through you, that's a whole different thing. There are gifts of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. And people will preach Christ and glorify God in different ways. That, that's that's one thing where people are like, well, I have the gift of this. I have the gift of that. Cool. Are you glorifying God? Mm-hmm. And like, like that's that's the whole point of that. Are you glorifying God with what you've been given? Yeah. So it's not that the spirit is going to manifest itself in you through speaking in tongues, because if you if it did manifest itself in you through speaking in tongues, then how are you glorifying God with it? Yeah. If, if you if somebody like us three here, all three of us know English and we all know Spanish, but only one of us knows Russian. Mm-hmm. If Andrew stood up and started glorifying God in, Rus- in Russian, how would that be glorifying God and edifying us? It wouldn't. Mm-hmm. So he would need to have that gift with someone who only speaks Russian. Or if I went to Russia and there was nobody there, absolutely nobody there who had ever preached the gospel there, Mm-hmm. And nobody there to currently speak preach the gospel. And I went there 
yes, the Holy Spirit might manifest itself in me to spread the gospel by speaking in Russian. Yeah. But everyone has received the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. The second you believe, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And then uh, Ephesians 1, 13. Ephesians 1, 13 says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of the promise who is the first installment of our inheritance in regard to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. So we're, in, we're, we're told that the, the moment we believed the gospel of our salvation, the gospel of Christ, the moment we believed in Christ, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit. In that instant, in that moment, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit. We received the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. at that very moment. You know, I often see the, um, this, I don't know how this will come off to the listeners, but I see a Pharisaic um, attitude in Roman Catholicism in general because it's the, you got to come through us, we're the true church kind of perspective. It's it's what the Pharisees were doing with with Jesus and all the other Jews and all the others in Israel, they were saying, you got to go through us, through us. We're the teachers. We're this. Uh, you got to go through us. Then the Roman Catholic Church teaches the exact same thing. We are the true church. We know the scriptures. Our church identifies what scripture means. We are the interpreters of scripture. We are the binders and loosers of all these things. Uh, we are the forgivers of sin. Like the Roman Catholic Church is the place to go. Um, in the same way, uh, since apostolicism, came out of an environment or was born within an environment that was already heavily Roman Catholic, we can see a lot of those flavorings as well. Like the, we're the true church, we're it. You got to come through us again and again. And it's like, you just keep seeing it. Like it's, it's legalism at its best. It doesn't change. It just puts on a different attire and it keeps going through different cultures, different generations, different areas, different geographical locations. Like you just see the same exact we have it. It's in us. You got to be like us. And it's not pointing to Christ anymore. It never points to Christ. It always points to the local church. Like you got to be like me. You got to be like us instead of saying be like Jesus. So what I what I see a problem with is that there's so I guess there's this great uncertainty that Christians will have in every age of whether or not they've really done something or have experienced something. So they need something that's very pronounced. And that's why people look for so many things. But again, I keep seeing more and more of the Jewish mentality in that. Like the Jews seek a sign. That's why they always needed, for them, it was the baptism. For them, it was this. It was the ceremonies. It was this. It was always something to show because there was so little faith. It was always so, I need the and proof. That, I need the proof. And that's why Jesus rebukes them and says, oh, perverse generation yeah. who always seeks need a sign. A sign. Yeah. Always signs and wonders, signs and wonders. And when we see that Jesus is rebuking people for seeking signs and wonders, and then an entire movement is seeking and claiming and wanting signs and wonders. But the Jesus said the false prince of priests, the false Christ, the Antichrist is going to come with deceiving signs and wonders. The last thing we should be seeking is signs and wonders. Mm -hmm. Let that be a result at God's choosing. Seek Christ. Seek his word. Let that be your life and your goal and your aim. 
seek to know him and to know him fully. Just like Paul said in Philippians, I seek his righteousness, not my own, his. I want to press on. I want to just renounce all this other stuff I've been overly focusing on and just press on to him because he's my goal. He's my prize. But we keep seeking all the wrong stuff when we're not viewing this stuff right. So I just, I see a lot of legalism, a lot of the rebukes that they received uh, from Christ. I see that kind of just being embraced as, as a way to be. And I think it's, it's kind of funny to see that what's clearly rebuked in scripture is what so many people are pursuing and they're, they're trying to give evidence for it. Yeah. Jesus said it. Uh, he says, don't, don't look for, for the things of, you know, for materialistic things said, seek the kingdom of God Mm -hmm. and all of its righteousness. Like that's what we have to be seeking after. Yeah. It's not this world. It's not miracle signs and wonders. It's not, uh, who can speak in a different language or in a, angelic quote-unquote tongue mm-hmm. uh, the loudest who i mean who can do all the healings who and... can heal who can raise this paralyzed man from the dead uh, from the dead from from a wheelchair uh, and 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 to me it's like what happens then because one one of the last services that that i attended in my former church was we had a healing service actually it wasn't a healing service it was after the sermon and after the altar mm-hmm. um the pastor there said that we were going to pray for everyone who was sick and they were going to receive their healing. And yeah. I think like one or two people came up. Um, but to me, it's like, what would have happened if a paralyzed person came, pray, was prayed over and they weren't healed? Mm-hmm. Like what would happen? What yeah. would our response be? Either, our response would be either their faith is lacking yeah, or God is going to work in you slowly or it just isn't for you some generic response when you should never have done that in the person in the first place. Yeah. Because that's not what we're called to do. We're not called to call up the sick and we're going to pray and they're going to heal. And no, it, there are times where I've witnessed people being healed after a prayer, but that, that is something that God will work in his sovereign wisdom. And I might ask how Often does that actually happen too, right. you know, because it doesn't happen every time we pray. Right. You know, there's this expectancy like because I asked God, he's going to do it or even worse, because I declared it, it's going to happen. Yeah. You know, but how often does a healing actually happen? And that doesn't make God any less, but it, it should we should question what we understand about God. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it's be, because then then you become one of two things i think either people no longer believe in god because his followers said he was going to do something and he didn't uh-huh or you're a liar yeah and as from what i've seen we've never taken responsibility for that in the assembly yeah we've never said well my bad you know yeah it's never been us it's always been either the faith of the other person or it's just not in God's. Or we blame God. Or we blame you don't, God. You don't, we don't ever say that. It won't sound like that. But it's like, if you're saying that God didn't do it, but he might, and he'll, he'll, he's doing it slowly, you're putting the blame of non-healing on him. Mm-hmm. It's like, but who said he would heal? I mean, that's not even prayer anymore when you start declaring that stuff. I declare. Who are you? Yeah. What do you mean you declare? You don't open the gates of heaven, and you don't have the powers to that. You have the Holy Spirit, which empowers you to live a Christian life mm-hmm. of obedience to God's word and of sanctification and holiness apart from the world and unto Christ. That's your obedience. That's the Holy Spirit enabling you. 
not to be some fancy miracle worker. That's not your duty or your call. In fact, that was something that was only associated with the apostles or some of their close associates for a short period of time as actual known historic miracle workers. Yeah. That's because they were only then establishing the New Testament in writing. Yeah, And, and not just in healing, but I've also uh, met Christians that didn't speak in tongues. You know, we know some people that are genuine Christians, but don't have the gift of speaking in Mm -hmm. tongues or the so-called gift of speaking in tongues. And what has that done to their faith? You know, they, they live with their head down, some believing they're not saved at all, or some believing they're not worthy or God is not looking after them because they can't speak favored by God. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, that is so harmful. What is that doing to the genuine Christian that genuinely has faith in Christ, but all because they don't see this, this wonderful miracle, you know, that they can't speak in tongues. Like that's, that's so awful. Yeah. And I, and I know people who, who their, their knowledge of scripture is, is profound and, and it's, you, you can't deny that they're saved. You know, you yeah. just, you, you look at them and you're like, ah, that's a saved guy. Yeah. You know, I want to be that guy. Yeah. But they've never spoken in tongues. Mm-hmm. And so you start to see that they're a little depressed because. If, if they're under that teaching. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that. I've seen that to where it's like, man, they're, they, 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 they're living a life of sadness because they've never spoken in tongues. And now they're getting to a point where they're questioning their salvation. And that's why the uh, emotional prayer at the altar call becomes their salvation every Sunday or Thursday yeah. night. And that that is that is an idolatrous view of the altar, uh, and it's an just it's a destructive view of the entire Christian life because that means Monday through Sunday, apart from those several hours in the church and at the feet uh, of uh, at the foot of the altar, right under the podium that. I mean, unless it's there, unless there's prayer, unless there's wonderful music that's supporting it, that entire person's, whenever they're thinking about it, spiritual life could be in a disastrous position mentally. But spiritually, it might be clean before God. Yeah. Because God has accepted them. So we should accept them too. Uh, it's it's interesting that so many people put confidence in something that the scripture never promises or guarantees for anybody. And that confidence isn't searched any further into if if they are taught that they must do this or that to prove themselves and it's not biblical like if someone says you have to speak in tongues and um you got to do this or that or do it this way and they don't they begin to wonder why didn't they speak in tongues so the the response that they have is not healthy they begin to try to earn god's favor through obeying him but we know that god doesn't receive us into himself or keep us with himself because of anything that we do on our part it's always grace and mercy it's always undeserved we deserve wrath we deserve hell we deserve hellfire we rightly deserve to be cast away from god's presence and he welcomes us in with mercy and grace because of the shed blood of jesus something's been done for us good news and we now are partakers of that through faith we believe and we've received christ and he's received us unto himself so if somebody tries to say, I will pray more, and then God will give me these results, we begin using God like a slot machine. Like you mm-hmm. put in the coin, you pull the lever, and you get these results. If you don't put in the coin, you don't pull the lever, then you don't get results. God's just not going to do things. And they won't say that. They won't say, you know, God's not going to move. But they'll just say, you know, God's just not going to move in my life 
unless I do these and these things. It's like, look, there are such things as consequences for sin or for complacency. Absolutely. But God's receiving of you has never been through your actions. We respond to God. God calls us by his spirit. That's why even Acts 2.39, it says, or um, Acts 2.39, for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. This is a sovereign work of God, him calling people by his spirit, by his word, through Christ, through the preaching, the external call of the word of God. And internally, he draws you in by the spirit. Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them in and I'll raise them up on the last day. You can't even come to Christ until you get that inward call through the outward call. Someone proclaims outwardly and God leads inwardly. It's at his call. It's mm-hmm. at his will. God wills to call people in. We can't put our hands on God and tell him who to save and how to do it. We can't put our hands on God and declare that he's going to heal or he's going to solve problems. He does whatever he wants. Nobody can stay his hand as I think it's Job or Isaiah said. No one can stop him. Who's going to say to God, what are you doing? Who's going to do what Romans 9 says, don't? Who's going to say, God, how dare you? Are you being unrighteous? Who's going to say that? Who are you, old man, to talk back to God? We have all this authority in our heads because people tell us, you have now been given authority. You can now do this and do that. But the Bible never says that. So when we are being taught that we are now miracle workers and we are now openers of eyes and we are now declarers of healing, we're being taught something that isn't Bible at all. And it leads people, instead of growing in sanctification, which is what 1 Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 11 says it says grow in these christian characteristics grow in these christian graces and you'll have a more stumbleless walk towards christ you'll have a more faithful and a more developed walk in your in your faith but if you don't grow in these christian graces brotherly kindness love mercy patience self-control if you don't grow in those you're gonna have tons of doubts in your christian life you're gonna have uncertainties and you're gonna be stumbling all throughout wondering am i am i am i Imagine being married and having to see the certificate every single morning to make sure you're still married. Right. Live out your marriage. It's been declared. It's official. So I, I think a lot of people just, they try to impress God and then all of their deeds, even though they are Christians, they become hypocritical because they're trying to earn something that's given by grace. And, and that's, that's not Christianity anymore. That's, that's something else. You know, I'm glad that we don't have to depend on a marriage certificate or a wedding ring to understand that we're married because uh, I've bought in my wife like 12 different of these little rubber rings and <laughs> she's lost all but one. So, <laughs> so you're, very, not, you're not married unless there's I'm a ring married. on there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, according to the assembly, I'm in sin for wearing this. Oh, yeah. Bed, but yeah, there's a lot to, to talk about. It, when you know, uh, <laughs> going back to like healing and stuff like that just for a little bit. Um, I do, I do believe that, and this is maybe my less cessationism coming out. Um, mm-hmm. That if we're sick and we pray for healing and God heals us, I don't believe that it's some. Uh, I have the gift of healing now. Yeah, I, I believe if you ask it in my name, I'll give it to you. It, mm-hmm. But God is going to glorify Himself. Yeah, no matter what, if you die as a believer and God didn't heal you. He's going to glorify himself in the fact that you were a saved Christian mm-hmm. and you're going to be in heaven. Yeah. Because the Bible says that he rejoices. <laughs> the Bible actually says that God rejoices yeah. when his saints pass away. Yeah. 
because what's next is the glory. kingdom yeah. is glory for them mm-hmm. and, and and if he heals somebody supernaturally then he's going to be glorified for this mm-hmm. and honestly that when when people ask me for prayers that's what i pray i pray god do your will let your will be done and i pray that if they are healed then an unbeliever may believe. Yeah. That an unbeliever may see that this person was near death, they're miraculously healed. Yeah. And they're going to glorify God yeah. because of it. So I, I don't I don't believe that God's just never gonna heal anybody ever. Um because again, as his children, I I believe that he loves us in that manner. So yeah, he will see after our necessities. And infirmity is a necessity, but you can also you also can't be like like myself. I'm a I'm a type two diabetic. Mm-hmm. If God doesn't heal me, am I going to lose my faith in God? No. Yeah. I'm I'm the guy who got me into this mess. You know, <laughs> like yeah. like if I die, it's like well, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Yeah. You know, hey, as, as uh, something that my wife hates to hear me say is, Lord, take me home, <laughs> you know, like take me home. And she's yeah. like, no, but yeah, it's like, we, we got to admit, be able to admit how much we love this world. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, Cause it's, it's preached in all churches, a lot of churches, you know, not just the assembly, but this, this whole come to God and you will have a fantastic life. I don't love this world, man. Yeah. I don't love it. Uh, I, I just want to correct uh, Pastor Mike Winger from Thinking Biblically it said it's less Satianist. Less Satianist. Less Satianist. It works smoother that way. <laughs> so it's like, you know, it's not all about signs and wonders. It's not never about signs and wonders. It's about less. It's about less. Less than all the time. Yes. More than never. <laughs> and God's willing. Um, yeah. And it, again, it all has to point to the glory of God. Yes. Um, Real quick, I just remember a, a preacher one time uh, years ago. He was a, a missionary, supposedly in Mexico, and and he could perform healings and whatnot. Um, but from what I remember, even when I was young, I was young as a teenager. I was like, "There's something off about this," because immediately the dude made movies, and like as soon as the the preaching was over, like he was. Or actually, and even during the preaching, he was promoting his movies. It's like there is no glory to God and all that. But it's like, and, and that's an extreme example. But I, I'm pointing that out to say, look how far you can actually go with this. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If you're seeking signs and wonders, signs and wonders. Oh, I'm the one that carries this sign and wonder. I'm the one. I'm the one. It's like, look how far uh, your own pride and your own arrogance uh-huh. and, and, and seeking your own glory can take you. It might start off as, oh, look at what God did through me and eventually turn into the movie missionary guy where, yeah. where he was getting mad that people didn't know his movies, you know? And, and that's one thing that we need to understand. God will work through us um, to, to his glory. To his glory. But we need to be careful to not become those people who say, me, me, I, I. Yeah. I remember going to a church service in Mexico once in San Luis. Um, and don't get me wrong. I, at that age, I was still, you know, at one point, we're going to call fire from heaven. I don't know if you remember <laughs> those times. Oh, yeah. But so there was this preacher and he was like, God uses me to heal. God uses me to save people. God uses me to do this. God uses me to do that. And I look at my dad like mid preaching and I'm like, Dad, this guy's wrong. 
completely. And I was like 14 years old, I think. And my dad looks at me. He's like, yep, you're not wrong. And after that, uh, that service, we go to this pastor's house. Not not the preacher. He was like a, a guest preacher. And we go to the pastor's house for, for dinner. And we're talking about the service. And a lot of hermanos are like, oh, that was such a good service, huh? And my dad was like, no, this guy was preaching all wrong. This guy was focused and centered on himself. There was mm-hmm. no glory to God. Mm-hmm. And it was just, to me, it's just crazy how far we can get. Yeah. And to be so big-headed to believe that it is us and, mm-hmm. not, and not God. I think what's easy to distinguish is the fact that if, for example, if somebody begins to say, this is going to be a revival service, it better if it's not you just you just prophesied lies i mean mm-hmm. you just said this is what's going to happen if if you're so certain that god is going to move in some great way cuz you have this incredible inclining and you sense the spirit leading you in that way as you are convicted by the word and by all your studies and cuz you want to exposit faithfully the word of god if you're convinced of that as as you do that then god ought to move in that way, he, he ought to open the eyes and convict people and bring them to a repentance and faithfulness. But if this is something that we do because we feel good or just because we want it, you can't say revival service because you want revival. You can't claim what the service is going to be. It, it ought to be a faithful Bible examining service above all else. That should be the aim and, 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 and purpose for any time a preacher enters the pulpit. Teach the word of God. Explain it faithfully. And as God leads, he will lead. He might lead you to keep going in the service. He might lead you to stop at the final hour mark. Whatever it is that the Spirit leads. But you go in there prepared to explain and articulate what you've studied and you've prayed over and you've poured over so that you can carefully and faithfully explain those sections of Scripture that you're covering. That should be the aim. But so many people, they're aiming for a big event. And they want it to be something talked about on Sunday afternoon. And they want it to, it's like... We, We are not aiming for God when we're doing that. We think we are, but God didn't say, be extraordinary. He said, follow me, die Mm -hmm. to yourself, follow me. He literally said that. That's the command. Pick it up. You're going to die. You're going to be hated. The world's going to hate you. It's like, we're not doing that if we're aiming for something wrong or different. Yeah. Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. What does that mean? That means you're going to (laughs) die. The cross means you're going to die. And... But here we are, people saying that we're going to live our best life now because we're in yeah. Christ. If this is your best life, if you're if you're saying that, that we're living our best life now, then guess what? You are living your best life now mm. because your next life is not going to be so good. So you need to be careful. If, if you're not constantly searching the scriptures to examine yourself in it, and you honestly believe that because you're in Christ, this is now your best life, then yeah, it's, that's probably true. It's probably true. So if somebody would ask, so that we would close, um, we'll, get, we'll get everyone's opinion or everyone's explanation and let us know when it's your opinion. 
because we need less of that. <laughs> I wish every pastor would just pause and tell the congregation, and here's my opinion, and it should be short and to the point, and then continue back with the word. I right. wish every pastor would do that, because that would be a way to distinguish between this man's personal opinion, which could flavor a little bit of what might be exposited in the sermon, and the truth, and the solid biblical teaching and command, authoritative teaching of the word of God. Um, if somebody would say, well, what then what are the evidences of the Holy Spirit that I should be seeking for as a Christian or as someone that is considering becoming a Christian, what would be the evidences of me having the Holy Spirit? Uh, and what would be things that I should not seek for or things that are maybe taught wrong? So go for it, Aldo, and I'll let Carlos close. <laughs> Why do I got to go first? <laughs> no, um, well, the Holy Spirit is a, a counselor it leads us it guides us and when you read scripture it, it, it goes back to what we were saying earlier what what happens when you read a scripture and it'll go against something that you have been taught or something that you believe about yourself or or some something that is just completely different than what you're used to what happens at that point you know what i mean Somebody with the Holy Spirit will be like, okay, something's got to change. It, it might not be immediate. It might be immediate. Uh, but there's something about you that's like, okay, I've been doing this, this wrong. I, I got to search further more, look into it more. So uh, the Holy Spirit will drive that hunger for the word, that hunger to know God more. And so uh, when you read the scriptures and you come across something like that, you know, what, what happens, you know, and going back to the whole topic of speaking in tongues, uh, I mean, it's, it's pretty irrefutable that the Holy Spirit isn't this, this, uh, experience that happens at an altar or this experience that happens in big services. No, the Holy Spirit is something that happens immediately when you believe and any true believer can attest almost to that moment where it was like you said earlier like light bulbs go off in your head and it's like i i believe and so it, it is at in that moment that the holy spirit begins to guide you it points you to the word uh and and then just from there you you begin to grow and you begin to let go of if you grew up in a bad uh theology church bad teaching uh, God will slowly like melt it away or immediately, however it is that, that it works in your heart, but it will happen because you recognize the voice of God. You recognize the word of God and you cannot refute it. So I would go on to comment that, um, from what we see in scripture, um, the Holy spirit is not reserved for the prayer after service. It's not reserved for those times when you bend your knees and you feel bad. Uh, it is not just comfort after preaching it is uh the spirit of god who guides leads corrects and convicts you in order for you even to come to a saving faith uh, no one will come to a saving repentant faith unless they realize they need sin to repent of and they have a savior to run to so if you can't flee to christ because you've been regenerated in your heart and the holy spirit has moved in you to do that you you won't come to a confessing faith in christ um, and also, um, the Holy Spirit is a constant companion 
who is guiding and refining us in our lives. So even while we are listening to preachings or sermons or just day to day, he is there guiding, working at his pace, at his will, at his discretion to bring us to and through certain things so that we might recognize them for what they are or learn from them as we should or be brought to personal biblical convictions when we are in regular company or hearing the word so that we can discern whether or not these things are true or these things are right. So he is guiding and leading us in our hearts and minds so that we would be, as Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, be conformed to the word of God, be conformed to the will of God so that we would know what is the will of God. We, we should be conformed not to the, word, uh, to the world, but transformed. And all of this is done by the Holy Spirit, who is God. My turn. Um, the Holy Spirit, the evidence of the Holy Spirit, first of all, is not the speaking of tongues. We've read that over and over again. Because the speaking of tongues, as apostolics know it, is some unknown language, some angelic heavenly language. And they are, and they tell every Christian that if you don't speak in tongues, then you don't have the Holy Spirit. We've continually read that that is not the truth of the scriptures. That evidence of the Holy Spirit, I believe it, the immediate evidence of the Holy Spirit is repentance. Because you, a sinner, a person who is dead, cannot come to repentance. It has to be worked into you and the holy spirit is what that does because the holy spirit is the spirit of truth that's what jesus says he says but when he in john sixteen thirteen, but when he the spirit of truth comes he will guide you into all truth so the holy spirit guides us into the truth that we need repentance that we need a savior that we're dead in our sins that we've sinned against the holy god and we have no part with him and when we believe we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. So the, the Holy Spirit brings about repentance. And when we believe we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit then is a companion, as you said. He will convict us. He, he will lead us. He will guide us. He will, he's, he's, he's our helper. Um, in first, in, uh, first, I'm sorry, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this person is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their wrongdoings against them, and he has committed us to the word of reconciliation. So the evidence of the Holy Spirit is just that. It's not speaking in some unknown language. The immediate evidence of the Holy Spirit is repentance. But the continuing evidence of the Holy Spirit is when we continue to grow in our, uh, I, I don't know if uh, conviction is the way to say, grow in conviction, but when we continue to grow in repentance, every day we must repent because every day we're sinners. Yeah, That's one thing we need to understand. We're not going to be uh, non-sin until we reach that glorified stage when we receive our glorified body. Yeah. Then there will be no sin. But until then, even though I'm saved, I'm still a sinner. I still wi willingly save or so willingly save. I still willingly sin. Mm -hmm. The difference between my sin now and my sin back then is that now I hate it. I yeah. hate the fact that I just gave in. I hate the fact that, that I did the, 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 the thing that caused my Savior to go to the cross. Mm -hmm. 
And I immediately have this sorrow come over me. And I pray. I said, Lord, I don't deserve your forgiveness. But here I am again. Yeah. And 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 the Holy Spirit convicts that in me. Mm-hmm. There are times when I my belief I struggle with my belief, and I pray that the the uh, who is it uh, Jarius said I believe help my unbelief, and I and I and I pray that and I said Lord I I believe, but help my unbelief because there's times where I struggle in my belief, mm-hmm. and and. And it's as as if God is faithful immediately, and I'm just convicted, and and I feel this heart, and I'm like, I'm sorry that I that I that I have this unbelief, and it's this uh, like um, I guess like a peace that comes within me. It's like, oh, you're saved. And I'm like, <laughs> thank you, yeah. thank you, you know. So I, I, that that those are my words. Um, and it's not like you just ran from third base to home and you got saved because you did the right things right. and all oh, you're safe now. It's like it's it's more of like your feet are firmly planted on home base at all times and they're they're like melted into home base forever. And whenever we're looking around like ball, ball, and they're like, uh, am I at home base? And God just takes our head, just just points it down to our feet and says, you, you're safe. You're with me. I'm I am that I am I always am so it's it's not and also um, just a comment you were saying daily there is repentance this is not the Roman Catholic view of repentance which is a bad Latin translation that translated instead to penance which is actual deeds to do in order to undo bad things it's like doing good to undo your bad praying the rosary uh, performing indulgences uh, going to confessional those things are not I, I shouldn't be doing that uh no you should not be praying the rosary thinking oh. that that does anything because that is repetitive prayer which jesus in matthew 6 actually says do not do that do not repetitively pray do not put many words just for the sake of many words don't pray in public just to be seen all of this is hypocrisy it's mere empty religion does nothing brings you no favor towards god um and yet penance is not the point repentance is a change of mind it is not an action to undo a, a sin you can't undo your sins God does not tell you to. He does command us to undo some of the wrongs we could towards others. If we have robbed someone, to give back. If we have done wrong, to uh, to do good instead for that person. But as far as between us and God, we can't undo our sins no matter what. We can confess them. We can suffer some consequences. And we can turn away from those actions and maybe uh, repay somebody. But between us and God, the sin has been fully paid and atoned for all eternity on the cross by the blood and willful sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. So it's not about uh, pay penance. A daily life of repentance is a daily recognition that we intentionally go wrong because of our wills. And yet by the Holy Spirit given us, we want and will now to go in the right directions, even against our own flesh. So it is a death to self. You have your will. You must choose to say no, even through gritting teeth and whatever the pain goes through when we say no to our carnal desires, we must choose no. And the more we do that, the better becomes a habit of it. And the easier sometimes in some ways it seems like it is to follow after Christ and his commands. It's like you start a habit of honoring God. It becomes easier to say no to some temptations at times. It won't be perfect. It won't be sinless, but it will be maturing. And that's what we should be aiming for, a maturity in repentance and faithfulness toward God. So, 
Anything else, guys? We good? All right. Uh, thank you so much, guys. This has been a long episode. I hope you all were able to stick with us. And I hope that this was a good format. Three people, uh, two people sharing one mic. But um, let us know if there's anything else that we can do or if there's a topic maybe that somebody might benefit from or has questions about. We'd love to dig in and go into that. And we want this to be a blessing for all the listeners because it is for us to even converse back and forth. And we want it to be biblical. This is why we open our Bibles. And we want to go left to right and pick out whatever sections we can kind of aim in on. This is for the glory of God and this is for the good of the church and for the insight of those that don't yet believe on Jesus Christ. So uh, thank you so much for joining us at the Milk and Meat Podcast. God bless you all and have a good one. Because I be worried about your soul Why you still be doubting you got a soul Like you need to see to believe these things But you believe things that you've never seen The feelings and hopes and dreams The future emotions and gravity